You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What I'm hearing out of Chicago is they're finna package him up, trade him for some other pieces, and then go with the Bryce kid from Alabama. Wow, I did not know that. That's a good, that's a good little insert no, there. You, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in Florida and I hear this and you haven't? They haven't really told us anything. Oh, trust me, there's a bunch of, there's, a, there's, there's smoke everywhere talking about them trading Justin Fields and going out the price. Wow. All we've really been yeah. hearing is that they need to give him a lot of, lot of weapons. So nobody's ever said the trade hey, deal, but I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of weapons and you only have one pick, what do you do? You trade away that one thing you have for a couple weapons, and then you get a much more capable throw of the ball. Wow, that is a good. That's that's good to hear. I, that actually makes me happy. It means that the Bears are uh, no, no, no. are trying no, no, things. No. I just want. I just I just put it out there. It, 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 it might be a big fire brewing, and you didn't see it coming. But Warren Sapp told you first. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, that was Mr. Warren Sapp, who called in or was a guest on a show that I'm assuming is a Chicago Bears show. I have no idea. Um, But anyways, he's saying that he's heard, so this is... This is different than what Schefter and Ian and everybody else said, where he says he's directly heard that this is the plan. Now, whether he's full of crap or, you know, he's heard it from people who just think things, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, this is hilarious to me. The point is, while the Chicago Bears are trying, or the Bears fans are trying to be overjoyed with what is one of the worst seasons they've had in franchise history, and convincing themselves that somehow that's a good thing. They just got a brand new, um, (laughs) this is the funniest thing ever. They got a brand new coach that they think is a great coach. They got a guy that they think is just an elite GM. And they believe that they have the best quarterback they've ever had in franchise history. And somehow, great coach, great GM, and their best quarterback ever. And they've had one of the worst seasons ever in their franchise's history. Somehow that computes in their brain. But anyways, on top of having those three elite pieces, they also understand that they have a lot of money and believe that they can just turn that into whatever they want. Like, you can just take money and turn it into... You can just build a player with money. 
there doesn't have to be a player that's good that's available. No, I mean, it's just we just have all the money. We can get all the talent. We can just buy Justin Jefferson if we want. Just like, I'm sorry, Minnesota, you don't really have any say in this. We are buying Justin Jefferson. And then they have, of course, the first pick in the draft, which uh, they believe they're going to trade back like seven times and get 50 picks and turn all of those picks into elite players. And they're just going to build a roster from the ground up and we'll win a Super Bowl. So while they're going through all this massive delusion, on the outside, there's there's legitimate conversation. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like Warren Sapp made a big prediction last year that was just stupid and wrong. So I'm, I'm not putting a lot of stock in his intel. He's talking about there's a lot of smoke, and I'm sure he talks to a lot of people. He's extremely plugged in. Not only was he a player and a Hall of Famer for years and years, but he was also a media guy, so he's got contacts galore. He's also a, a horrifying person. So if 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 this guy caught, I mean, every, do you, every time he talks, I would never want to interview him because every single time he talks, even a casual conversation, even this, he sounds like he wants to kill somebody. He is just tuned up all the time. Oh, you didn't hear that? I'm in Florida. You didn't hear that? Like, please don't hit me, dude. He's ready to fight anybody, anytime. I'm surprised we don't hear like weekly this dude just jacks somebody up. But anyways, if Warren Sapp calls, you're going to talk to the guy. That's all I'm saying. So I know he's talking to people, but that doesn't mean that he's talking to people in the Chicago Bears organization necessarily. But it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that it's coming out and the fact that it actually makes a lot of sense and Bears fans can't deny it. He gave the rationale. Why would you do that? Well, I thought we were just going to get weapons for, uh, for Justin. What, with one pick? No, you trade Justin for a haul of picks, and then you go draft somebody who's a much better thrower of the football. Doesn't that actually make a lot of sense? Of course it does, especially since Justin's going into what, year three? We've already burned through two years, and the guy still can't throw, figure out how to throw a football. So he's going to be asking for a massive contract pretty soon. You really willing to risk all this? One more year, and he still hasn't figured it out, and now he's going to be sitting there saying, hey, I'm the franchise quarterback. Where's my paycheck? You're really going to put all your – because you are putting all your eggs in that basket. Year three, first of all, he's going to be asking for money, and you got to decide right then and there whether or not you're going to pay him. And if you're not going to, that's going to cause problems. I know it's early, but that's where quarterbacks are asking for now. At the end of year three, going into year four, when they got to make a decision about your fifth-year um, option, they're going to be sitting there saying, yeah, we don't need to worry about that. Why don't you just go ahead and pay me? Not to mention, you're not going to have the first overall pick, assuming you actually do do something with this roster, and somebody takes a step forward, and you do get a couple quality pieces, and you do go get some veterans. What, now you're stuck in that 14-15 cycle? You're not getting quarterbacks anymore. You're not drafting whatever quarterback you want. It's not an option anymore. So what are you going to do? So I still don't think they're going to do it, but it's the fact that it is being talked about and the fact that it actually does make a lot of sense that cracks me up because it's not really deniable. All you can do is sit back and say, yeah, right, you're an idiot. You don't know how to watch tape. He's obviously elite. He's obviously the guy. He's, a, he's our franchise quarterback. Okay, dude, <laughs> that's fine. You Packer fans don't even have a quarterback, and we got the guy. I hate to tell you, but in the limited sample size we saw of Jordan Love, he was significantly better than Justin Fields. But yeah, no, you're probably right. I'm sure Jordan Love will uh, be much worse once he gets the opportunity, and Justin Fields will be, uh, year three is the year. That's when he's going to figure it out. Could be. I mean, it was, I mean, this is year three for Jordan Love. First time we saw him look pretty good. It's not impossible. Everybody loves talking about uh, Josh Allen. It was year three for Josh Allen. So it could happen. I don't know. Were you going to put all your eggs in that basket? And from my perspective, it's win-win. 
if the Bears decide to trade back and try to just build around Justin Fields, it's a, it's a win because I don't believe in him. I don't think you can win with a quarterback that has elite speed that can run like nobody else but hasn't figured out how to throw a football. Every mobile quarterback that's had success, they did it because not only were they fast, but they could throw. When Lamar won MVP, and even this past year when he graded out pretty well, it wasn't just because he ran but couldn't throw. In those years in which it was suspect, and you're looking at him going, this guy's not going to be a good quarterback in the league, it wasn't because he suddenly forgot how to run, it's because the throwing fell off. That's always been the difference. Michael Vick, elite runner with the football, but he could throw too. There's been a lot of guys that can run, but if they can't throw, you're not going to be a quarterback, period. So anyways, look, again, win-win. If they draft a quarterback, then I just get to take a bunch of victory laps. (laughs) Ha-ha, you bunch of losers. You thought he was great, and he sucked, and I told you that. And you fell in love with the guy, and now he's gone. So even if you think I'm wrong and he is a great quarterback, oh, well, he's gone. If if they don't, then ha-ha, you're stuck with the guy. All right, um, we'll continue to monitor that situation, obviously. I spent the entire day yesterday talking about this Romeo Dobbs thing, so I don't want to spend more than like two minutes on it. Um, But the reason I posted the title as I did being my unpopular opinion is because I understand that it is sort of the unpopular thing. The general consensus is that, um, and, and, and this is kind of the issue I have with not just the players, but the fans in general. When I said yesterday there's sort of this union mentality of nobody should be expected to do more than what is required, and I'm not a fan of that, there tends to be a lot of people that agree with that and want to shame people for expecting anyone to do anything more than the bare minimum, and I find that to be odd. But there was a... uh, Somebody shared this with me. Aaron Rodgers liked a tweet in response to Romeo Dobbs' answer about not hanging out with his quarterback outside of the facility. And the the tweet that he liked was from Lane Taylor, who said, people are always trying to make Aaron Rodgers a bad guy. I guess he should have spent his free time doing trust falls with rookie wide receivers. So again, if you want to make stupid jokes about it, fine. It's your team. It's it's your responsibility. And if you want to make jokes about it and act like it's not a big deal, and that's fine. Um, You can do that with your marriage if you want. You can do the bare minimum. And if somebody suggests you do something, then then make a big joke about it. Like, hey, you should... uh, let me take the kids and go take your wife out. Like, oh yeah. Should I carry her across the threshold? Should I get on my knees and weep and wail and read her poetry? Get out of here. Take her on a date, you moron. Dude, I pay the bills, okay? I'm here at home listening to her stupid stories, talking to my stupid kids, doing all my stupid stuff. I do my job. My job is to make the money and pay the bills and I do it. You can have that attitude if you want. It's your marriage. They're your kids. You can do the bare minimum or you can go above and beyond and try to be the best. You can try to be the best husband on planet Earth, the best uh, dad on planet Earth, and go that extra mile. And it's the same with Aaron Rodgers. And the bottom line is I just don't want to hear any more about how competitive he is. I don't want to hear it. If you're going to do the bare minimum, then shut your mouth about being competitive. I'm the most competitive people in the world. Bullcrap. There's a big difference between wanting something. I want to win a championship. But actually going out and doing it is a separate thing. You can want to be a multimillionaire and sleep in your bed all night and do nothing and watch YouTube videos about people who are rich and just say, one day that's going to be me and not actually do anything. You can want, 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 want and say, I want it more than anybody else. That's probably true, but it's an entirely different thing to live on four hours of sleep 
working and grinding to make yourself a success. So you want to make jokes about building relationships with your teammates. Okay, that's that's your prerogative. You can do that. I have no personal respect for that, especially if we're going to complain about the relationships and whatnot, not being on the same page and all that. Well, you, you could spend time working on it. I, I didn't say you have to go out and make out with the guy. I didn't say you have to go play video games. You can do whatever you find to be appropriate to achieve that goal. Again, you could stay after on that very field and throw footballs to him for two, three, four, ten freaking hours for all I care. Stay up all night working on two routes so that it's perfect. You could do whatever you want. You have all the time in the world to fix all of these issues. But instead, we get the attitude of, I do my job, you do your job. When I show up to work, I expect you to be on the same page. And if you're not, then you're a piece of crap. But I'm not your babysitter. I'm not your daddy. I'm not your mommy. And I'm not going to help you. You got to grow up and be a man and figure it out by yourself. That's the attitude. I think it's lame and pathetic, but that is the attitude. And again, a lot of players have it. And this is exactly what I was talking about, about the, the guys that get to the top. They get offended at the idea that they should be expected to do anything more than the bare minimum. And that's why you see all the blue checkmark former Packers who have been at the top of the union doing all this stuff. They're the ones doing this. But the little guys like Romeo Dobbs, listen to his answer. You think he didn't want to hang out with Aaron Rodgers? She was like, not one time. He's like, yeah, not one time. And then he says specifically, 12 is all about football and all that. He's, he's not about doing anything else. He's all just about business. He shows up and this is business and blah, 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 blah. He said specifically about him. He didn't say it's ridiculous to think that anybody would do that. He does hang out with people. He hangs out with other teammates. Again, I'm not talking about going out and bowling and trying to like bond with I don't care what it is. Figure something out or don't, but then shut up about, the, I don't want to hear about the locker room and Tunyon talking about like, we just feel like frauds and I don't know what's going on. No, you wouldn't know what's going on because you don't talk to your teammates apparently. How would you know what's going on? How would you know how to fix these problems? You don't communicate with each other. You don't hang out with each other. And you think it's stupid to even suggest that you should. So that's what it is. Fine. Okay. And, and again, this seems to be the norm throughout the league. It's not just an Aaron Rodgers thing, but I'm telling you it's stupid. I think it's stupid that we have so many players that feel like they should do the bare minimum and they get to brag about how they're the most competitive, hard-nosed people on planet Earth. The bottom line is they're like people who get tenure. I'm in the NFL now. I'm the big dog. I get all the money, and I'm not doing a damn thing more than what I'm required to do. And if you suggest I should, then I'm going to make some snarky little comment about how you've never done it and you don't understand and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, I understand what the bare minimum effort looks like. Bare minimum effort would be things like showing up to OTAs. Well, I don't get anything out of it. Well, it's not about you. That's the point. It's not about you. Do you want this team to be on another level? Is there anything you, as a Hall of Fame quarterback, could maybe provide to the young guys as they walk in the door? Do you think that's possible? Or no? Dude, we can download videos straight from Twitter now? Dang, that's crazy. There's just a download button sitting here for all these videos. It's going to save me like a couple clicks. <laughs> That's wild. But you, anyway, you get my point, right? That's where I'm at. If you disagree, fine. I, I, just, I just feel like I'm going insane, the fact that it's like everybody's so offended to think that anybody should do anything other than the absolute bare minimum because, well, I work a nine to five and I don't hang out with my coworkers. Who gives a crap what you do? 
I don't care what you do. I'm talking about the highest of the highest, supposedly the most competitive people on planet Earth, where the entire thing is a team sport, where they have to come together and work together and bond in a locker room to be the best of the best of the best in the entire world. This has nothing to do with your freaking nine to five job working at Costco, making $18.45 an hour, and you hate your job and you hate your coworkers. This has nothing to do with you. But again, I'm in the minority. I just, I just, I'm just annoyed that this is sort of the mentality. And then again, these same people will turn around and be like, oh, he's so competitive. They're the most competitive people in the world. No, they're not. No, they're the most prideful people in the world. And they're people that feel like I'm so great, I can make things happen. And then if the team doesn't rally, it's because you are also supposed to be great. I'm already great. I'm pulling my weight. Where's your greatness? We're over here waiting for your greatness so we can win a Super Bowl and you're not being great. You're an idiot. This is a team sport. It's not a group of individual elite players, which, by the way, is what the Packers have been all these years, and it's why they can't get over the threshold because they've never been anything other than a collection of individual great players. You got Jair over there by himself. You got Rashawn over here. You got Zadarius over here. You got uh, Bakhtiari over here. You got these individual silos of elite players, and it's just not quite coming together ever. I wonder why. I don't know. I guess we'll never figure it out because they don't freaking talk to each other, and suggesting it is a joke. Okay, got it. All right, finally, before we uh, get off of this topic, um, we can't go a day without some new Rogers stuff as far as the trades, things, and whatnot. Um, it would almost be completely skippable if he didn't say that he had inside information. This is from the Bill Simmons podcast. Um, let me just make sure I got this set up. I do. Um, it's hard to kind of interpret what exactly is going on. I have the impression, and I thought he said it on here, but maybe I'm thinking of somebody else as though they... Somebody is ex- seems to have insight into Rogers' camp, and I... And I don't remember if it was from this interview or something else, but that's my expectation of what Bill Simmons is talking about, is that there's somebody who is either in the camp or is friends with somebody who's in there or whatever, but, you know, there's always going to be leaks. But anyways, let me play this, and we'll just kind of go through it uh, piece by piece, I guess. Before we go, Rogers to the Jets. Heifetz wrote about it for us on The Ringer like three weeks ago about like this laying out and go back and read on the ringer all the reasons why the Packers would have to trade Rodgers this year because next year becomes impossible. It's still a cap hit, but it's not. We looked at that article, right? Essentially, it says if he comes back this year, he better come back next year because we, otherwise we're in a lot of trouble. It's, I don't know. It is what it is, but that that's what he's referring to. Yeah. Nearly as bad. Um, there's only a few teams that have the capacity to take it. He theorized, I think, the Jets, the Raiders, and the Titans. I got intel last week that this is going to be the Jets. And the Raiders is a backup, but really, you know, and that's why I started producing. I heard you say it. So that's that's the crux of it. I got intel last week, and I don't know if that was Peter Schrager. I'm guessing that was Peter Schrager that said it on the Bill Simmons podcast. I don't know. I don't know their voices. But he got intel that it's going to be the Jets with the Raiders as a backup. Now, what could that possibly be? If you've got intel, where is it coming from? It's not coming from the Jets. That doesn't even make sense. That maybe he's going to come here, otherwise we'll send him to the Jets. Or the Packers are, are, are saying either, the Packers don't know, it's, it's they need to talk to Rodgers about it. It's not a Packers thing, it has to be coming. Either he's completely lying, or when he says he got intel, he's referring to a friend of a friend of a friend of Rodgers, 
who said that, you know, if he decides he's going to go somewhere else, the Jets would be the place to be. Now, again, this might be him just completely making up garbage or throwing around the word intel way too flippantly when there really is no honest intel here. But I don't think it's impossible. Again, I, I, I don't remember. I don't think it was on this podcast, but somebody had talked about how he knows that Rodgers has not made his decision yet. He has, or the, the, the comment was he has not spoken to anybody on his inner circle about his decision, meaning I would know because I have an in with some of these guys. So he has not either made his decision or if he has, he has not talked to anybody in his inner circle about it yet. But, so, so, so that's important because what it means is his inner circle is leaking information. And when you tie that to this, let's say Peter Schrager, he's saying he got intel that it's the Jets with the Raiders backup. So let's just talk hypothetically and pretend that this isn't a nothing burger, which it very well could be. But let's just talk hypothetically. We've established that there's an in within Rogers' camp. You got intel. Unless it came from Rogers' camp, you know it's garbage. So you're either lying or you got it from, from a friend of a friend of a friend, right? Why is this being communicated? It's interesting to think about. Somebody on the inner circle of Aaron Rodgers has had conversations with Aaron Rodgers, and it's already been concluded that the plan will be to go to the Jets with the Raiders as a backup. Now, let's go through the options. We've got retirement. That wouldn't make sense. Again, you could just be going through your options. I get that. But in that specific context of that conversation, you're not talking about retirement, and you're not talking about going back with the Packers. It's also very odd to me Because again, Aaron Rodgers holds complete control. The Packers cannot send him anywhere if he doesn't decide that that's what he wants. If he says, I'd like to come back and play, the Packers will say, okay, sounds good, and that's the end of that conversation. So if he really wanted to stay with the Packers, then it would just be a a simple matter of, am I going to retire or am I going to play for the Packers? And I understand the whole thing with, um, you know, I don't feel wanted, therefore. That's fine, but but the weird thing is they've already had the conversations to establish where you're at and where, you know, he wants to know where the team's at when he makes his decision. So what does that mean if he's discussing his options outside of the Green Bay? Just asking. If they were good conversations that made you feel warm and fuzzy and, and that they're going to head in the direction that you want to head and they definitely want you there and they want you back for as long as you want to be back and that's completely cool, then it should just be a matter of, am I retiring or am I playing for the Packers? Why am I having discussions with my buddies about where I'm going to get shipped off if I decide to come back and and making plans and contingency plans, i.e. the Jets and then later the Raiders? I don't know. Now, to be clear, in my opinion, this is more of a nothing burger than than the the Dobbs thing, because that, that directly ties to what we know to be an issue. This is just, I don't know, this is just talking. It's just something. And it's because he said inside information or whatever he ended up saying, which people have been shying away from because they don't have any. But I'll say this. I would err toward this person has heard something. And that something is if the decision, let's just say it's 33% he retires, 33% that he comes back for the Packers, 33% that he gets traded. If the trade is the thing, it sounds like there have been discussions, and the discussion is leaning toward, I'm going to the Jets. And if that doesn't pan out, I'm going to head to the Raiders. In terms of talking to the Packers and saying, this is what I would like you to try to facilitate. Thank you very much. Which means, 
what sounds like absolute crazy town never would happen. There's no way that we're following exactly Brett Favre's path this entire time. It is happening. And it's hilarious because all the people that are screaming, this is different. It's not the same thing. This could not be any more similar. The only, I mean, the only minute thing would be if Rogers says, I'm going to retire at the end of the year and then comes back and is like, never mind, I want to come back. And honestly, it's not that different. The only real difference here is that Rogers saw Brett Favre do that and saw that it was kind of an embarrassing disaster and thought, I need to make sure, because I'm sure after he lost to the Lions, the first thing he wanted to do was run to the podium and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to retire. I got to get out of here. But he says, you know what, take some time. Really think it through. It's the exact same thing with just a slight tweak, probably with Brett Favre talking to him on the phone, like, dude, look, whatever you do, just take some time. But it's not different. This is exactly the Brett Favre situation. Even down to him not wanting to show up to practices, not wanting to do any extra work, this sort of diva mentality that started taking over Brett Favre, or um, I am the franchise. The fact that you had the, the fan base split, you had the Jet Favre fan base and you had the, uh, the, the Packers fan base that supported Rodgers and supported the decision to move on from the guy because he was getting obnoxious and he was, you know, first of all, not even that good anymore. He couldn't play in the winter, completely crumbled when the weather got cold. I mean, the only other difference is that there isn't something kind of catchy like Jet Favre, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it doesn't really work quite as well. Although it kind of does, because when you're talking about individuals that support Aaron Rodgers, you call them the Aaron Rodgers, like the Rockettes, you know, or something like like a, a row of little ladies. That's how I picture it anyways. And of course, let's not forget the Jordan Love situation, where you have a first-round pick who was picked later in the draft, which we all seem to forget. It's almost as if Aaron Rodgers was, we forget he wasn't like a top-five pick. He fell in the draft. It's the only reason the Packers got him. Jordan Love was picked almost in the exact same spot that Aaron Rodgers was picked. He sat behind a Hall of Famer. He looked like garbage. And then in like year three, he threw a couple passes and it was like, oh, dang, this guy looks impressive. He filled in for an injured uh, Brett Favre and actually looked really good for that short period of time. And you had some people saying, this guy's actually pretty good. We should probably try to do something before he ends up leaving. And some people saying, no, you can't do that. Brett Favre's going to take you to the Super Bowl. The only place Aaron Rodgers is going to take you is to the Turlet Bowl. It's the same thing now. We got to run it back. Aaron Rodgers is the only hope to get us to a Super Bowl. The only place Jordan Loves is going to take you to, to the Turlet Bowl. It's the exact, 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 exact same thing. This is no different whatsoever. And now we're sitting here talking about him getting potentially traded to the Jets. This is unfreaking believable. I think the idea that the NFL is rigged is the dumbest thing on planet Earth. But I tell you what, if there's one thing that, that that's going to get me to believe that some of this is scripted, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. At which point I'm just going to stare, stare at the Minnesota Vikings and say, don't you freaking dare. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a little break? If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Also, it'd be wonderful if you would please check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the NFL draft world right now, which is pretty exciting to be honest, has absolutely no clue what direction to go with the Green Bay Packers. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stunned because usually this is just an automatic slot in a wide receiver. And so you're going to see a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba. You're going to see a lot of Quentin Johnston. You're going to see a lot of Jordan Addison and really not a lot else. A couple wild cards here and there. But I look back over the last couple days of, of drafts, and there are a couple duplicates, but for the most part, it's all over the place. Um, Jordan Addison, picked by the uh, Cody whatever at Player Profiler, pretty neat website. Falcons Wire also had us taking Jordan Addison, maybe not the most reliable Packers site, but still. But that's it, just two. Michael Mayer was uh, selected by the Baltimore Sun for the Green Bay Packers, as well as Josh Edwards over at CBS. But that's it, just two. Lucas Van Ness was given to the Packers by Luke Easterling of DraftWire. Nolan Smith was drafted to the Packers by Joe Broback of Pro Football Network. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, uh, NFL draft buzz Leo Sells had two picks for the Packers. One was Quentin Johnson. One was Nolan Smith. So I don't know exactly how that worked. I'm guessing that was an Aaron Rodgers trade. So technically two for um, Nolan Smith and one for Quentin Johnson. That's it for him. 
Then PFF's Marcus Mosier had the Packers taking cornerback Cam Smith. Then there were three, which I think is the most for any player, for Brian Branch. Uh, Chris Trapasso at CBS had a second Brian Branch. Mike Finelli over at Fantasy Pros. And then um, the staff over at Draft Tech. But Doug Farrar over at Touchdown Wire had us taking offensive tackle Peter Skaronsky. Jason Lacer, Lacer over at Chicago Sun-Times had us taking Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, Kayshawn Boutte, drafted by Just Blog, blog Baby, Brandon uh, Brad Weiss. Walter Cherapinski over at Walter Football had us taking Paris Johnson, offensive tackle. And that's it. So... Aside from getting three picks for um, Brian Branch, it's all over the place. Again, all three wide receivers, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston, Jackson Smith and Jigba, safety Brian Branch. We had Paris Johnson and, um, oh yeah, and the Kayshawn guy, wide receiver also. Uh, Pierce Skaronsky was the other tackle. Cornerback Cam Smith. Edge rushers, Nolan Smith, and uh, who is the other guy? Lucas Van Ness, and tight end Michael Mayer. It is all over the place, and I freaking love it. However, since what seemed be, and by the way, the reason I did this is because what I've been doing, what we've been doing, is looking at the most popular mocks for the Green Bay Packers. Now, the problem is that's probably been going back two, three, four months. So I wanted to get a closer look at what's going on more recently. Maybe there's a big push for, I've been hearing a lot about Lucas Van Ness, for example. Maybe that's like the new thing. And so I looked again over the last 48 hours, and these are all the mock drafts that I could find. And we've got what seems like 20 different mock drafts pointing in probably 12 different directions. So that's exciting to me. It's exciting because one thing I don't like about, you know, draft, the draft community is that it becomes so rigid. No, this person will never fall out of the top five, never do the never, never. Like, there's two guys that are acceptable, and in reality, there's about 30 guys that are acceptable. It just depends who you talk to. Everybody thinks there's one or two guys that fit for the Packers, whether that's the Packers' needs, um, and you combine the Packers' needs with who's going to be available. There's there's one or two guys that are just perfect, and that's it. But again, there's there's 30 different guys, depending on who you talk to. Somebody will say it's Peter Skaronsky makes the most sense. Somebody else will say that guy's not going to make it out of the top eight. Somebody else says Skaronsky is going to be a second-round pick. Talk to somebody else, it's Brian Branch and Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's like, no, Jigba is going to be a second-round pick. No, and Jigba would be long gone by then. You know what I mean? I just, I don't like the idea that we know everything about everything. So the fact that it's wide open, I dig it. And I hope it stays that way. It won't stay that way, but I hope it stays that way. However... Again, the experiment was, what's the most popular today? It seems to be, again, over the last 48 hours, Brian Branch is the guy. And I'm excited about this because, again, I just did a very, very quick cursory look at Brian Branch, and I just, I wasn't super a big fan of him. And um, it was it was largely his aggression. He looked to me like a corner by the way that he played. Um, however, his PFF freaking loves the guy. I mean, like, you would not believe, loves the guy. And one of the big kind of sticking points that a lot of people threw in my face was he's, and, and PFF will back this up, he's one of the best tacklers that they've ever graded for a safety, like ever. So how do you reconcile that and me saying he's not aggressive? Well, it's, it's simple. There, there's, there's a difference between fundamental tackling when a guy's in front of you wrapping up and getting him down and not missing a tackle and being aggressive and going and getting that guy across the field. 
They're not going to call it a missed tackle if you start jogging in that direction and don't end up getting there. So it's just a mentality thing. That's all it was that stuck out to me that kind of annoyed me. But let's look at them a little bit closer. And look, here's the deal. Everybody we talk about, my goal by the time this podcast is done is to be the biggest fan of that play. And I think I've done that. The only person that I so far have not been able to get my head wrapped around is Quentin Johnston. But he's actually moving up the board, so he might be off the board anyways um, by the time we get around to that. But why don't we do what we usually do, and that is start off with the people that have uh, mocked Brian Branch to the Packers to see what their thought process is. I went back about a week to find um, seven-ish. Trapasso, very simple little explanation here, but he says, uh, Brian Branch did everything on the back seven of Alabama's defense this past season. He'll be a welcome addition to the Packers roster. Here's what Draft Tech had to say. They're a little bit more wordy, and they posted a uh, Twitter clip, which is pretty fantastic. It was a three-play, three-stop sequence from Brian Branch. Uh, But he says, while many of the Packers' decisions will hinge on Aaron Rodgers' future, one thing is certain. Green Bay needs to overhaul their options at safety. Heading into 2022, safety seemed like a position of strength with with established starter Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. However, each fell short of the lofty expectations while simultaneously earning the worst PFF grades of their careers. That's for both of them. Savage, who whiffed on 18.8% of his tackle attempts and allowed a passer rating of 100.7 in coverage, was benched for a five-game stretch before reappearing in the slot down the stretch. Amos allowed a passer rating of 121.9, a jump of 35.8 over his highest passer rating from 2017 to 2021, while also allowing six touchdowns to make matters worse. Amos's dead cap hit and Savage's guaranteed fifth-year option will combine to count nearly $16 million against the cap in 2023. What a freaking disaster. They go on to talk about their uh, evaluation of Brian Branch. It says, Brian Branch could be an intriguing option for the Packers in round one. Branch will be a bit of a projection as a full-time safety as 70% of his snaps have come from the slot, and he has just 101 career snaps from pre-safety alignment. However, Branch was credited with just three missed tackles on 92 attempts last season and appears to have the physical skills to handle the move. In addition, he allowed a passer rating of just 69.3 across 57 targets. With this versatility, reliability as a tackler, and coverage skills, Branch could be the perfect fit in a retooled Packers secondary. I will say this. Everything that I loved, going back and I watched a couple of his games, uh, Utah State and Texas, I think, were the all-22 that I have available from this past year. Um, Every time he was at safety, like actual safety, it just felt like a waste of his abilities. He needs to be around the line of scrimmage, whether that's linebacker, edge, slot. He just needs to be close to the action. That's just my personal thought on that. It's a waste of his skill set to have him standing around in the middle of the field and, and honestly, I don't know that he's that good at it anyways. I mean, I guess I don't know because I haven't really seen him play as a safety. But um, I, I, I just want him close to the action. That was written by James Siebers, Packers analyst for uh, Draft Tech. Kyle Stackpole over at CBS uh, says, Trabas- Trapasso? I guess Trapasso made this particular pick. I don't know. Trapasso went for the defensive back from Alabama, and Spielman understands why the Packers would be intrigued. He's a good football player. They played him in a star position at Alabama, which is kind of like nickel position. I think his best position is going to be free safety. He has range. He'll come up and hit. He's an effective blitzer when they do send him uh, to affect the quarterback. He has all the ability to be a very good free safety in this league. To be completely honest, I, I the, the, everybody's talking about this like, look, I mean, he's played a lot of slot and in the star position kind of thing, which is like a linebacker slot thing. 
But don't worry, like he can play safety. Like I think he'll be great. And I'm as a Packer fan, I'm looking at it going, that sounds like you're describing to me Darnell Savage's job. I don't care if that's what he does best. Like if that's what he does and did in Alabama, he can come do that here. We're talking three safety looks with two, you know, you, you got your two safeties back and you got one lined up in sort of the linebacker position or in the slot or whatever the case may be, which the Packers will do. I mean, I know Savage kind of took that job and maybe that's where he's best and we can kind of alternate with him and Brian. But look, if, if Savage is kind of on his way out anyways, I'm not looking at this saying, oh, well, you're you're kind of more of a slot linebacker safety hybrid and I'm looking for a more pure safety. No, not at all. There, we, we pretty much have vacancies across the board for any safety style position. There is not a single safety on this team that I'm looking at saying, well, well, wait a minute, we already got a guy. No, we don't. Now, I'm I'm hopeful that Savage can kind of turn it around and do something, and I do like Rudy Ford, but let's be completely honest. If there is an absolute freaking stud, whether he is a star or a slot or a free safety or a strong safety or whatever kind of safety he is, let's just go ahead and grab him and put him where he goes best, and the guys that really can't quite get it done, let's just put them in their second best position and hope that pans out. But yeah, all the hemming and hawing about, well, I mean, technically he kind of does this. And I know you don't need that. You you know, you got a slot guy. And I know that you're, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's fine. Natalie Miller over at DraftWire says the Packers desperately need help at the safety position with zero long-term answers on the roster, and they could get it here with one of the most versatile defenders in this class. Branch played all over the field for Alabama, including safety and nickel. Green Bay could be creative in how they use him, and his presence would help what was an inconsistent secondary right away. And look, I, I, I don't know, man. Maybe I was just in a bad mood the last time I watched him. He he does seem to have the right mentality when he's tackling. I mean, you can see that by just how elite of, an, of a tackler he is. And it's kind of odd because he's a smaller guy. But it, it's it's almost like, it reminds me of just like an alligator or something, you know? When he clamps onto you, you're going down. Like, that's just the end of it. You see a lot of times where people will over-pursue and they'll grab and kind of like, you know, it slips through their arms. I mean, half the time it looks like he doesn't really even have them, but he just has a way of bringing them. It's 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 pretty remarkable watching him tackle because 90% of the time I'll watch him go, oh, that isn't, he's not going down. And he does every time. The guy does not miss tackles. Now, we said that about Quay also. Quay doesn't miss tackles, and then he came into the NFL and started missing a bunch of tackles, but NFL is not college. But I, I do appreciate that, especially considering that is somewhat of an issue. And to have somewhat of a physical, downhill, attacking-style safety that doesn't miss tackles, that loves to just live in teams' backfields, whether that's blitzing or just coming downhill because they're running a screen or whatever the case may be. I dig it, man. I really do. I want to watch more of Brian Branch. And I, I tell you what, one of the things that, that is really hard is when you watch somebody's highlights and you just can't see it. When I first watched Brian Branch, again, maybe I was in a bad mood, I don't know. I just, I didn't see what I was hoping to see. And I think largely what I wanted to see was a true safety. A guy that just stood in the middle of the field and had some ridiculous sideline to sideline range and just really fast speed coming downhill when something happened. And that's not what I saw, so I was like, I don't know. But I think, and listen, there's nobody on planet Earth that watches film that'll tell you that watching highlights is a good idea, but I will unless you're looking to pursue a career in this, I do think it's important because you want to get a baseline just for who this player is at their best. I think that's important. 
I, I even, when I go back and again, I've got this list of all 22 and all this stuff. And then I cross reference it with PFF and I'm, I'm always torn on what do I want to see? Do I want to see them at their worst? Should I pick their lowest game just to kind of see what the deficiencies are? Should I pick them sort of at that average? You know, if, if, if they're generally like a 72 player, should I find a game where he graded out at about 72 ish? Or should I go absolutely for the best and just see what this player is at their best? I think it's important to kind of get a full picture, but at the very least for starters, for starters, fall in love with the prospect and then slowly start to pick away at it and understand where there might be some deficiencies. But these guys are absolute freaks. So let's start with that. And and again, it's really hard. And, and I think Jackson Smith and Jigbo is one of those guys. And I'm, I definitely am coming around to that. And I'm, I'm really starting to appreciate the idea of picking him. But his highlights are not anything spectacular, and everybody understands that. He's not a speedster. He's not He's not anything. And, and, and honestly, Michael Mayer is the same way. He's not fast. He's very average to potentially slow in terms of his abilities at, at the position. But you, it, it's all about the nuance. It's about the route running. It's about just being a good fundamental football player. Um, but anyways, when you watch Brian Branch highlights, which I just did before I did this whole thing, I tell you what, it's not hard to see what's exciting about him. And, um, again, there's a couple times where it's, he, he seems to have this attitude of like, well, they got it. It's no big deal. And then the guys break free and it's like, oh shoot. And then he goes and gets them. And I wish maybe he would just be a little bit, but, but it's nitpicky. Bottom line is when, when that trigger goes off in his head that says, okay, this is my job. He has no problem going and killing that guy. He likes to be physical. And I, I just, the, the cool thing is I like how that fits in because I know how Jair is. And I know how, like, Savage is. And I know how this young group of DBs that we have just has this sort of killer mentality that we're the best in football and all that. And I like adding to that. A guy from a major program that was one of the most dominant players on one of the most dominant teams coming into this secondary with a bunch of guys that just have this swagger and have this attitude that we are the absolute best. I just think he'd be a great fit. I really do. I think he'd be a great because again, what? how did this whole thing start? Talking about the Aaron Rodgers thing and not coming together. It's all about attitude in the locker room. It's about how we how we are as a group, not how I am as, a, as an individual. I'm not talking about Brian Branch coming to this team and just saying in his own little world, in his own little silo, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best, and I go on the field and I'm the best, and then I expect everybody else to be the best also. No, no, no. As a group, we are the best. We as a unit are the best. And it's not just the secondary. Us, combined with the linebackers, combined with the pass rushers, combined with the defensive tackles, we are the most dominant elite defense in the entire world, and we're going to set the world on fire. It starts with the individual, but it grows, and it's a mentality. And I want to continue that. And when I watch Brian Branch run up and smoke a guy at 190 pounds, which seems impossible, he'll come up and lay a guy out as though it didn't even have an impact on him, and he'll stand there and flex over him. That's the kind of guy I want here. It might, it might account for a couple personal foul things like we saw with Quay Walker, but you know what? I'll take that. I wish Quay would learn a little bit, but the fact of the matter is we got a bunch of young, angry, violent, talented young guys, and I want that, and I want to continue adding that, and I do think Brian Branch brings that element. He likes to fire downhill. He's a great tackler. He's a fundamental guy. He's a violent guy, and he wants to be in the action, period. And again, I know that contradicts what I had said initially. I think that's a, a, a an occasional thing, and maybe it was just an off day for him. I don't know. But largely, I think he likes it. 
And that's great. Again, this is what we see from Jair, that firing in the backfield when they run when they run those screen passes and whatnot. That's what Brian likes to do. When he's covering and he sees that, he's going to shoot into the backfield. Again, the only little nitpicky thing I would say is don't trust, don't trust the guy next to you. Don't ever stand there and say, he's got it. No, swarm. But that's, that's an easy, coachable thing. Again, I threw that on Twitter and everybody tore me up like, oh, you don't like Branch, you're an idiot. I didn't say I don't like Branch. I watched one game and I was like, I don't know. It's not what I was expecting. But this, this, this is the biggest thing. It's building that culture. And I think the defense is the best place to start because as much as we've invested in it, and yeah, we, we absolutely need to start investing in offense. I know there's a lot of people that have tuned me out already because it's like, no, I, I want offense, period. We're just exploring our options. But we need to do this on offense as well. I think the offense is mostly where the disconnect and all that comes. But I love how the culture of the defense is starting to brew a little bit. Like, you know, again, it's sometimes it's just Jair and just Rashawn, but I think if we continue to add this level, and I don't know how Brian Branch is as a person. Maybe he's a D-bag. I have no idea. But I like the idea of bringing in these big program, big star players to come in that just have this swagger, especially for D, because DBs and wide receivers, man, you got to have the swagger. You just got to have it. And um, I think Christian has it. I do. I mean, he seems like a humble guy, but at the same time, you watch that guy catch a touchdown pass, and it's just basically, yeah, I mean, there was never a doubt in his mind. He's not surprised that he's going to be a star wide receiver in the NFL. That's not a shock to him. He expected that, as did his entire family. I love that, and I want that. And, and again, this is where this whole thing comes in with, you know, culture and especially young guys. I mean, I get it. When you get older, you've heard the rah-rah speeches you've done through, you know, it just, you, you get to the point where you kind of roll your eyes and it becomes a nine to five. It becomes a business, especially when you start making tens of millions of dollars. These are business transactions. But I like these young, hungry guys that come in that just love football, period. I'm just here because I want to hit somebody in the freaking mouth. Know what I mean? <laughs> The one, the only, Bucky Brooks also had the Packers taking him in the last week or so. Um, not a lot of commentary, but he lists him as a cornerback slash safety, but says an adding a high IQ defensive back with position flexibility upgrades, the athleticism and playmaking ability in the secondary. That's the other thing I, I noticed. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm having seen very little of him. I'm iffy about his ability. I, I don't really like him long range. If you told me that he's going to play corner, for example, and and it's man coverage, just based on what I, it's not my favorite thing, but his ability, and this is why he's, people see him as a safety, to stand back and read and react. There's been a couple plays where he just fires off. He knows what's coming. I I don't know, but you just get the impression on a couple plays. If you, again, go watch the highlights. That's one of the benefits is you see some of the more impressive plays, which is a good thing because you want to know what the upside is. You'll see a couple plays where it's like, he he. this guy's a film guy. He's a film nerd. Nobody else on Alabama's defense knew that was coming. He had no doubt. And again, it, it just feels, he, he on, on one hand, he's this wild, reckless, violent player. But on the other hand, he's very fundamentally sound, very intelligent, very calculating. Calculated. Uh, Mike Finelli of Fantasy Pros had the Packers taken Brian Branch. It says, whether Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love starts next year, the Green Bay offense will be under a microscope all year. While the team will need wide receiver help with Alan Lazard likely leaving in free agency this offseason, the Packers haven't spent a first-round pick on wide receivers since 2002. Instead, 
they will probably focus on defense as they did a year ago, using both first-round selections on that side of the ball. The safety position could look drastically different next year in Green Bay as Adrian Amos is a free agent. Darnell Savage had a rough 2022 season. All right, so let's take a look at Mr. Brian Branch, shall we? Uh, listed at six foot one ninety three, um, listed as a safety. However, only one game via PFF that was Week Four against Vanderbilt was he listed as a strong safety. Every other week, he was listed as a slot corner. He has an eighty nine point five PFF grade. Now that makes me nervous. The reason being, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, he had grades of seventy two and seventy six. I wonder if he went back to Alabama, if we would see another 90 or if it would be another 70. Similar to what we saw with Jair, right? Good, good, elite, and then back to good. Meaning he had his one great year, and maybe in the certain circumstances, this, that, or the other, he'd have another elite year. But generally, he is a high-end good player, more so than like a top three player. Because I don't want to draft a guy thinking he's an elite player when really he's just good. There's that. However, here are a couple things to take note of. Number one, his tackling has always been elite. From year one, two, and three, it was a 90.5, a 92, and a 91.8. That was his three years. Run defense has gotten better every year. Uh, His first year was rough, 67.6, then up to an 88.1, then a 90.7. His pass rush has always been pretty solid. Uh, it was actually more elite in 2021, but always a very good pass rusher. 73, 90, and 79.6. We'll get to the stats in a minute. And then his coverage is really the big thing that took a big jump over the past year. Um, he's never he's never had a bad grade. His lowest grade in any category, any year, was run defense 67.6, which is basically a 70, which means he was good at it. That's it. We're talking overall grade, run defense, tackling, pass rush, and coverage. But his coverage grade, 71.7, which is solid. 68.7, which is solid. This year, 86.4. In terms of pass rush, he rushed the passer 44 times, seven pressures, three sacks. Obviously, the statistics on that are phenomenal. He had 74 tackles, only three missed tackles, which is 3.3%. 43 stops, which is a lot of stops. Um, And then in coverage, 36 receptions on 57 targets. 240 yards allowed, two touchdowns given up, two interceptions, and six pass breakups, 69.3 passer rating when targeted. His stops went from 9 to 22 to 43. He's only got four missed tackles in his career, which means that, I mean, you got to understand his tackles went through the roof, 21, 45, 74. So as a percentage, it's not really that terrible. But four tackles in four missed tackles in three years. He has played 1,682 snaps and has only missed four tackles. His average for his career is 2.3%. So out of 100 times when he squares up, he's going to bring the guy down 98 times. That's pretty great. (laughs) And again, I, I, I was watching a PFF video about Brian Branch, and they said they've never graded a safety in all their years that was as good of a tackler as Brian Branch. If we're looking at... um. All safeties throughout all of college football. And we are talking about 869 safeties, of which, by the way, Patrick Dellen of Air Force uh, is, is the worst. Ben Johnson of Ohio is the worst as far as guys that actually played quite a bit. Um, I just thought it was an interesting tidbit. He is, Mr. Brian Branch, the sixth best safety via PFF grade, just overall defensive PFF grades. Um, 
of guys that actually played a decent amount, he's third. The only guys that are better, Louisiana, Lafayette, Cam, Pedeschle, whatever, I don't know, it's some French thing, and Cameron Kinchins out of Miami. That's Florida. If you're talking run defense grade out of safeties, he's second behind only Darius Joyner of Duke. Tackling, again, number one. I say again because PFF has said we've never graded a guy like this as a tackler for a safety. Even pass rush, he ranks 28th, which doesn't seem all that great. But again, when you're talking, let's say, 500 safeties in a completely different skill set, completely separate from coverage, run defense and tackling, pass rush is a completely unique skill set to also be 28th in this area. And then he is the 16th best coverage safety. So he is the, uh, what did I say? Um, second best run defense safety in college football, the number one tackling safety, the 28th best pass rush safety, and the 16th best coverage safety in all of college football. By the way, Jordan Battle is quite high on this list. Um, I know we've all completely written that guy off, but I just remember last year when I did an early 2022 thing, this was like, he was like the number one prospect that I had in all of college football, like prospect period, best player. And he really didn't fall off. He's an Alabama safety, 81.5 PFF grade, 85.2 coverage grade, 72.5 run defense, 77.3 tackling. I'm just saying, I don't know. And and much more consistent. Again, it was 70, 70, 90 for Branch. It's 80, 88, and 82. So 81, 88, 82 for Jordan Battle. Just don't want to write him off completely. But statistically, Brian Branch was 18th highest in tackles, third best missed tackle percentage at 3.3. Only Jordan Howden of Minnesota and Quintavious Scandrit of Eastern Michigan had lower missed tackle percentages. He had the second most stops behind only Matthew Salopek of uh, Miami, Ohio. He also had the seventh lowest yards per reception among safeties, which I guess kind of makes sense when you play closer to the line of scrimmage than everybody else, but still seventh lowest at 6.7 yards per reception. Uh, tied for 30th, 30th lowest in longest reception of the year, only 20 yards. That was the longest reception he had given up. So clearly the guy is, um, he had a very, very good year. No doubt about it. Um, great tackling safety. Seems to be very intelligent. Seems to always want to be in the right place at the right time. So I think fundamentally sound makes sense. I would say that I'm, if I had to nitpick concerns, it's the fact that this was kind of a one-year thing. It's the fact that, how do I phrase it? You wonder if this is him at 100%. You know, in other words, the opposite of Rashawn Gary. You look at Rashawn and you're like, this guy is a ball of just freak. He's a freak from head to toe. But you're just not really seeing it on the field. But if you can transform him into his full potential, he's going to be elite. I just wonder if Brian Branch is at his full potential right now. This is maximal effort that makes him as great as he is. I don't know. I'll be interested to see what his testing is at. I mean, he's not... uh, He's not 6'3", 225. He's six foot 193. But, but again, maybe that's what we need. A guy that just has the right attitude. You know what I mean? 
Maybe he, maybe we don't, because this has been my thing up until basically last year, where now I'm kind of looking at it like, let's just get freaks. I like it. Rashawn Gary's panned out, Christian Watson panned out. Let's just get the biggest freaks we can, because that seems to be a great plan. But there is something to be said about mentality. Yeah, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest, but I got that right mentality. I'm going to study hard. I'm not going home playing video games. I'm going home and studying tape. And when I show up and I meet somebody face-to-face that's got the ball in their hand, I'm going to kill that guy. Period. End of of conversation. I like it. I like that mentality. I want that. And I I, I want the DBs and the rest of the defense and the offense. I mean, we saw how the offense fed off of special teams. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about team sports. Aaron Rodgers, how much he loved talking about special teams. He couldn't stop talking about it. It got him so fired up. The offense was so jacked up to get on that field and go attack the defense every time we had a return to midfield or to the 40 or to their 40 or to whatever. It got him energized. And the defense can do that for the offense. And the offense can do that for the defense. And I want them to feed off of each other. And you know what? If Brian Branch is that guy, I'm not opposed to it. Very interested to see what what people think about that in terms of is this a one year thing? If we look at, for example, his game to game abilities, it's it, it's you know there's really just like two really good games. And hilariously, I swear, if you go look at Austin P, every single time you see somebody's great games, it's always against Austin P. That is just like the one game you get to really look impressive. But he had an 88.8 against Austin P, 88.8 against Kansas State. Otherwise, he had an 80 against Mississippi State, 70s against Arkansas, Utah State, Texas A&M, and Louisiana Monroe and Vanderbilt, and then 60s against Ole Miss, LSU, Texas, and then he was in the 50s against Auburn and Tennessee. Now, there's nothing terrible about that, but it's just, I guess, context. I mean, it's, it's it, the, the floor isn't terrible. His worst game was against Tennessee, 56.8 on the road. Um, he also was significantly better at home. If you look at his worst games, Four out of his five worst games were on the road. So he likes to be at home. He likes to... Now, maybe you could look at that and, you know, say that's a bad thing because he plays well in Alabama, something to do with the turf. I have no idea, but maybe it's a good thing. This is our house. You know, that whole mentality thing. I don't know. That's for them to figure out. That's for Brian Gutekunst to figure out. Makes me a little bit nervous considering that seems to be a problem for the Packers when they travel, you know. But, you know, am I on the Brian Branch train? Yeah, a little bit. Am I blown away by Brian Branch? No, I, I think um, I'm going to have to dig a little bit more into it. But I don't think he is a, a freak athlete. I think he's a smaller, slightly undersized guy that has a great mentality and came from a great program and knows how to play the right way. I think he could be a, a great fit in terms of the energy and attitude that you want to bring to the Packers defense that we're already building, again, with Stokes and Jair and, and, and Savage who I really hope can can pan out because just his name, <laughs> you know, that's what I want the whole group to be. And if he can embody that, um, but whatever. And again, you got young guys like Wyatt and, and Quay that, that are hungry and want to just go out and attack. And I'm excited about it. I just want to make sure that he's the right guy, you know, but um, I'm, I'm there 75% on board with Brian Branch. He's similar to a Quay Walker in that there are questions, but there's no question about his tackling. He had elite tackling. And then the only other difference is Quay Walker really didn't grade out that well while in Georgia. <laughs> he just didn't. Um, his last year was was definitely his best year, but it was a 71.7 as opposed to Brian Branch. I mean, Quay Walker's best year was kind of like Brian Branch's worst year. Again, for, for whatever, however much you want to put into PFF, 
um, how much stock you want to put into them, that that would be the biggest difference. But similar in terms of big program, right mentality, fundamental, you know, tackling and everything else, that all lines up. So I, you know, in summary, as of right now, from what we've looked at so far, I am hesitant on Quentin Johnston. I'll have to circle back on that and try to convince myself. And if you guys are huge Quentin Johnston fans, and I might have to reach out to some people in the network that I believe are, but I would love for you to convince me because I want to be in on as many people as possible. But that's the one I'm struggling with. Bijan Robinson, I am a billion percent on board with. Not necessarily the pick. Um, it would. I, I don't think it would be my pick just because of positional value. But I am. I am over the moon obsessed with how talented he is. But I, I just can't reconcile it from a standpoint of. I mean, you know the. <sighs> You know, Dara posted on Twitter recently, there was a uh, a chart that showed, I think it was EPA per play on one axis and PFF grade on another axis. And Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were both extremely high. A.J. Dillon was, or Aaron Jones was basically number one. He was to the furthest top right. A.J. Dillon was barely behind. There's no question these are the top two running backs in football based on that metric PFF and, and, and EPA per play. And his essentially his his comment was, it's amazing to me that these guys could not have put together a better rushing attack. And I immediately thought back to what I've been saying this whole time, what I saw on whatever it was, the, 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 the litany of articles that basically stated data has been very clear that if you want a good run game, offensive line is more important than running back. So investing in a running back is not going to fix that. And then, I mean, even just look around the league. Back when Dallas had the most unbelievable offensive line in football. I was so furious when they drafted Ezekiel Elliott because I've been dogging that guy since forever. And he went behind one of the most elite offensive lines I've ever seen in my life. And of course, Ezekiel Elliott looked great. But as the offensive line has begun to deteriorate, now all of a sudden Ezekiel is not that good. Everybody's everybody's just talking trash about the guy. Look at the Giants. As much as I am obsessed with B. John Robinson, I've never seen anybody as impressive as Saquon Barkley. And Saquon has never been able to get off the ground. You want to take a wild guess as to why? It's the offensive line. So I desperately, desperately, desperately want Bijan Robinson. I really, really, really do. But you know what I don't want is to draft Bijan Robinson and have him fail because the offensive line can't block. And you know what else would be fantastic is to invest in offensive line and get some elite players and adjust Aaron Jones's contract and then have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon reach their full potential. Because the bottom line is, we have those guys. We have the elite running backs that we need. I would love to death to get Bijan Robinson. But we have stud running backs right now. Build up the offensive line, and we can watch it come to full fruition. I think that's the problem. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself that over and over and over again, because the, the obsessed draft fan in me wants Bijan so bad but the logical part of my brain is saying it's a waste of it's a waste we have very 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 good running backs what we need is offensive line so I'm all the way in on Bijan Robinson at the exact same time that I'm all the way out does that kind of make sense because it doesn't make sense to me so maybe you can explain it to me but anyways Jordan Addison I like the guy a lot is he a premier elite wide receiver in my mind no do I think he could start day one and be an asset? Yes. Would I be excited if we drafted him? Yes. I'm in on Jordan Addison. Michael Mayer. 
all the way in. Am I concerned about his lack of speed and all that stuff? Yes, but I do think similar to Jackson Smith and Jigba, it has more to do with his nuanced ability as a blocker and as a receiver, as a route runner. He has rare ability with his hands, his body control, and all that stuff as a tight end with his size, and his size is, 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 is not talked about enough. How big he is. People talk about, well, he's not actually that fast. That's true, but he is a freaking monster. Brian Branch, considering our, our issues at safety, am I in? Yes, I am. Um, I, I do have concerns, but I would absolutely understand the pick. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I get it. I think it's a perfect marriage when you look at what are the deficiencies we have on offense, and you list those things out. I think Njigba covers those things better than just about anybody. However, again, there are limitations. His his speed and all that stuff is going to be a problem. And so you look at it and say, for the first time in a long time, we're drafting in the top, well, top 15. You want to be able to get a Rashawn Gary type player, a guy that just, you know, he was the number one recruit coming out of high school, elite, all this stuff. And, you know, Jackson had that one good year, but you just feel like you should get more value for it. But would I get excited about it? Sure. So those right now are the guys that we've covered. And I think we've done a really good job, from my perspective, of trying to really understand and value these players. Again, Quentin Johnson's the only one I'm struggling with. But I'm, I'm there, and I can get behind it. And the goal will continue to be, as we go along, finding ways to appreciate all of these players um, in the event that we draft them. The other guy that I, I left out is Anthony Richardson is the other guy that I'm really, really, really struggling um, to appreciate. Now, again, he, he is, from a physical standpoint, he is Justin Fields on crack. That might have been the wrong way to say that. He, he's an elevated version of Justin Fields. He runs as fast, but is a bigger guy. Imagine a guy that can run like Justin Fields, but is bigger and stronger. I don't want to say built like Ben Roethlisberger because he isn't, but just to give you a visual, imagine Justin Fields, but like Josh Allen size. I don't know if that's accurate either, but th- that's what I'm trying to illustrate to you. And that does get me excited, no question about it. But even even uh, Florida fans have reached out to me. I've had two of them reach out, and they're like, look, I'm a Florida fan. I'm a big Anthony Richard fan, but let, let Richardson fan, but let's be honest, the guy is several years away from being an NFL prospect. So that's another one I'm struggling to kind of get behind. But um, we'll keep clipping away at this in our effort to uh, fall in love with as many prospects as possible. I had a guy, by the way, I know I can't, I need to stop talking. He um, talking to me on Twitter and Ten Commandments of Scouting and number six said, thou shalt not commit falling in love with another prospect. And essentially that's when I very much realized I'm not a scout. I'm not trying to be a scout. I'm not trying to be a scout for you. I'm not trying to turn you into a scout. That's not my lane. I, I'm a Packer fan. That acknowledges that pretty soon we're going to be drafting a lot of people, and I want to get behind those picks. If I can't, I can't. But far too often what happens is I really, really, really like, mostly because of what the draft media tells me to like, but I really, really, really like like two prospects for the Packers. They're not going to draft those two, and I end up being furious. This year, I'm going to be just madly in love over the moon with 90% of the prospects to find out what it is. First of all, why are they first, second, third round prospects? They're here for a reason. We're going to figure out what that is. We're going to appreciate what it is that they bring to a football team, and we'll go from there. Anyways, you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Oh, by the way, 
little short on calls. So 608-501-0718 if you want to call in. I don't think we're going to have, well, it would have been yesterday, I guess. We didn't have an episode. Please call in and uh, be a part of that show. I uh, look forward to talking to you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.